Hello and welcome to Legal Thinking from RWK Goodman with me, Ed Woodson. And me, Liam Pep. So Liam, what have we got uh, on the podcast this time? So in today's episode, we mark approximately two years since the launch of RWK Goodman's Retail Reboot Report, which, which you can still find on our website. So to mark that, we, uh, we reflect on the Retail Reboot Report uh, with two of our guests who are Vicky Hernandez, who is a partner and head of retail at RWK Goodman, and Graham Salt, who is a retail consultant who supports shops and high streets UK wide and he is the owner and retail consultant at cannyinsights.com. In today's episode we discuss the legal and regulatory shifts that have happened on the high street since 2021, changes to data protection and privacy regulation and how uh, sustainability and environmental concerns have become more prominent in recent years as well. Uh, amongst amongst much more actually. This, this is a really kind of well-rounded conversation about the changes on our high street but specifically since 2021 which is when the retail reboot report came out have i missed anything yes, no I, th- I think that's a fantastic summary i was obviously listening in at the time and it was a really like you say well-rounded conversation so let's roll tape Graham, in the report you featured in, uh, Retail Reboot, the high street was undergoing a transformation. Could you provide us with an overview of the significant changes that have occurred on the high street since 2021, which is when the report came out? Uh, I can, yeah. Um, it feels like a long time ago. Obviously, uh, back in 21, we were still in the middle of... Uh, of COVID and there was all kinds of things happening that were unexpected and completely new. But um, I suppose if you look at where the high street is now, um, it's probably in a healthier position than you would have expected, uh, despite uh, all the challenges that are out there in terms of cost of living and energy bills and things. And, and part of the reason for that is that what we've seen is that the online growth that took place during COVID, where we had no option but to shop online in many cases, that has kind of stalled. So online shopping is kind of where it would have been if COVID hadn't happened. So that increase that happened during COVID has has peaked and come down a bit. And the high street uh, has, in a sense, come back a bit because I think uh, post-COVID, people have... uh, have got back into their old habits. But there's also a bit of a sense that I'm sure we'll explore uh, in more detail around people wanting that connection to the places that they live in. And Vicky, in in the report, uh, we emphasise the need for retailers to adapt to reinvent themselves. How have retailers responded to these challenges uh, since the release of the report? I think... um... I think Graham's right. You know, during COVID, we had this real um, drive to shop local, and people really wanted to support their local high street. You sort of remember it's hard. It feels like a long time ago, but but you sort of remember those times when the local retailers and farm shops, etc., really kind of stepped in and, and supported us, and, and we all wanted to repay the favour. I think that's fallen away a bit. Um, but certainly we then all, certainly lots of my retail clients very much shifted to slightly different um, ways of operating. So, you know, almost using their retail shops as, as a mini distribution hub for a time. And I think we've retained that a little bit. Um, but, 
you know, people are shifting location slightly. Um, the city is still uh, not what it was in London. Um, the outlet villages, in my experience, are still really buoyant. Um, people want to be there. They're, you know, some of the most successful stores for retailers. Um, but I think the local thing is is has stayed with us and we're certainly acting for a lot more, you know, not just the big name clients, but but sort of retailers who've got, you know, maybe four or five outlets and perhaps are finding a bit of a renaissance there and, and more support than um, they were pre-COVID because to, an, to a degree, um, consumers are probably still shopping a bit more local and wanting that more bespoke um, sort of independent uh, retail offering. Uh, the, the report highlighted the impact uh, the pandemic, of course, had on the high street. I mean, it did come out in 2021. Um, have either of you witnessed any notable legal shifts or regulatory changes that have directly influenced retailers or their operations in the past couple of years? I mean, I can speak to, to, to legal shifts, I suppose. Um, we're certainly seeing, you know, in terms of leases, uh, for example, a lot more flexibility. Um, it's not really a regulatory change as such, but, um, you know, retailers are wanting short leases, leases with um, early termination right, break clauses, um, and perhaps also flexibility around, <coughs> excuse me, sharing occupation um, <coughs> because, um, you know, lots of different concessions can share one space and we're certainly when acting for retailers being asked to try and build in the option either to terminate quicker or to share occupation or just be uh, perhaps more creative with the way they're they're using the space that maybe once upon a time they would have just occupied on their own on a 25-year lease, which seems a long time ago now. Uh, Graeme, anything to add on that one about uh, legal shifts or regulatory changes over the last couple of years? That I've been yeah, um, obviously I'm, I'm no lawyer, so I can't comment on the legal no. things really, but but, but, but in terms of uh, in terms of lease, I think Vicky's absolutely right. Um, uh, even before COVID, we were seeing uh, leases becoming a lot more flexible, uh, kind of uh, five years maybe rather than the kind of 25 of old or, or even more sometimes in the past. Um, uh, and and the break clauses and the flexibility and I think uh, to be fair to landlords, a lot of landlords, you know, being more kind of agile and more responsive and more flexible uh, in how they do business. Um, I suppose another factor that uh, isn't really legal but is is about regulation and the and the constraints within which retailers work uh, is business rates, of course, and uh, and we saw from the first of April that quite a lot of of business rates in many places did come down as part of the revaluation. So I do lots of work in Durham, for example, uh, and we saw that in Durham, uh, quite a lot of of business rates on properties have fallen by about a third compared to what they were before the 1st of April. So it still makes business rates a very uh, big barrier to overcome in many cases. But Obviously, uh, any reduction is always welcome and it starts to make it a bit more likely that some retailers and businesses who are currently trading will be able to stay and that some others who might have considered trading in a location will think actually it's starting to become a bit more realistic now. Well, one of the key focuses of the report was the rise of e-commerce and its impact on traditional brick and mortar stores. How has the balance between offline and online retail evolved since 2021? And what considerations have emerged uh, as retailers navigate this new landscape? Well, I suppose um, quite a few of the of the key themes have already been mentioned, but I suppose uh, what we've seen that's quite interesting is that the pure play 
uh, e-commerce retailers have often struggled. Some of the ones like uh, Boohoo and ASOS have, have been uh, struggling a bit and finding that they've got too much warehouse capacity and they're having to deal with the cost of returns and things. And actually, it's the retailers who seem to be straddling bricks and mortar and e-commerce uh, who are the ones who are doing uh, well. Um, and on the topic of returns, we're also seeing that charging is starting to come in for that as well, so that people are starting to realize that, that a free return isn't really free. It does have a cost in terms of, of what that cost is on the business. And so that, I think, is a really interesting trend where more and more retailers are starting to pass on at least some of the true cost of returning items uh, onto consumers. And so whether that then has an impact on how people shop, that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because a couple of years back, you know, there, there was a view that everything was going to go online and, and the high street would die. And, and that obviously hasn't played out. Um, but I think that those retailers who are doing both online and offline retail um, do seem to be um, succeeding, certainly a lot of them. Um, for our clients, some of, some of the sort of shoot-offs of that are, are dealing with things like um, turnover rents, for example. I don't think we've mentioned them yet in this podcast, but we've certainly found that turnover rent leases are a lot more common. I mean, they were always common in certain types of retail um, destination, but but a lot more common across the board, um, so that landlords and tenants, in effect, share the potential pain and gain of um, a tenant's trading figures. Um, but the, but one of the uh, challenges that we now find with that is is what counts as turnover, because you've got um, stores where tenants were you know originally just selling what was in the store, and now they're maybe doing click and collect. Um, orders online or they're moving stock between stores a lot more frequently than they would have done. And so we're really, I think, navigating that um, that change and, you know, landlords and tenants trying to work together to work out what's fair and what should be included in turnover is, is very much um, a result of that that sort of change in the way that, that retailers are trading. Uh, earlier on, Graeme, you mentioned uh, one of the changes to the high street is people want to have a, a far larger connection with the mm. places that they live in. Can you expand a little bit upon that? Yeah, I think um, it was partly a COVID thing as um, as people like me have always been banging on about shop local for ages and the, mm -hmm. and the way in which if you spend a pound locally, it, it filters through the economy and so on. But I, I suppose that always felt a bit niche and, and, and didn't really cut through until COVID. And then people suddenly kind of, I think, realized what the importance of these local businesses were. And what is really nice is that my sense from being immersed in those kind of places and those kind of messages is that people are still very receptive to that kind of storytelling, that idea that actually uh, if you if you support a local business, it's it's supporting uh, a local family. It's you know, all that kind of thing is is I think resonating now in a way that it maybe wasn't before, which is is really good because it makes it. Uh, much easier in a way to encourage people to to support and uh, and visit uh, independence on their high street and they understand I think the impact of that um, and it's partly about people also I, I suppose seeing those retailers who are the big multinationals who maybe uh, aren't seen as 
as paying back uh, all that they should to the countries and locations in which they trade. So that I think is a is a really positive thing, and and it seems to be uh, a long term uh, impact of uh, of COVID, which is a uh, it's a good thing, really. You, you say long term, but but let me just uh, clarify and and get me to look, uh, get you to look into your uh, crystal ball. Uh, do you think? Uh, so we did the retail reboot report two years ago. Do you think uh, if we jumped on this podcast again in another two years' time, that will be a trend that will have remained? I think so, um, and it's partly because if you look at, at high streets in many. Uh, towns and cities, uh, a lot of the growth is coming from independence anyway, because uh, what happened during COVID is that the low hanging fruit, if you like, all those all those big name retailers who were already teetering on the brink fell over the edge, unfortunately. And there hasn't actually been all that, all that much in the way of um, uh, other businesses going bust since then. But actually, in terms of the growth, yes, there are some brands still expanding, and that's very welcome. But a lot of the growth is independent. So, again, in Durham, to give an example, um, I reckon about 75, 80% of the new businesses uh, opening in Durham um, are independent. Um, quite a lot of them are uh, cafes and restaurants and hospitality, but others are, are things like bookshops. We've had two uh, we've had two new bookshops open in Durham in the uh, in the last year, and those kind of businesses tend to be really good at, at not just selling stuff, but using the marketing channels really effectively and building a whole community uh, around their brand and around their events and around what they're contributing to the place. So I think that is uh, is a really powerful trend, and, and my sense that it's uh, uh, it is here to stay. Vicky, uh, to jump back to you for a question, uh, the report uh, back in 2021 uh, discussed the importance of data protection and privacy in the retail industry. Has there been any significant legal developments or changes in consumer data protection since our previous conversation? Well, we've obviously got um, off the back of Brexit, the new um, data protection bill and legislation. I mean, I don't think it significantly changes the position, um, but well, we've all seen in the news recently, haven't we? There seems to be a series of big retailers suffering data breaches. We've had you know, JD Sports and Boots and WH Smith. I think T-Mobile were mentioned um, yesterday. Um, so, so, I suppose it's not so much that the law has changed, but that it will become ever more stringent. And I think you know, this particularly, you, you would have thought the big retailers would be getting it right and clearly are struggling in terms of, you know, privacy and, and protecting the information. Um, but I think, you know, going back to those smaller retailers, some retailers, sometimes we, we do talk to them and they don't necessarily understand, you know, what they're supposed to be doing, what data they're allowed to keep, you know, um, I don't know, takeaway businesses, for example. Um, so, it, it is something that they need to learn because obviously the penalties for, for data breaches and for keeping information you shouldn't are potentially quite large. So, um, not so much a change, but I think it will become, it's, it's newsworthy already. And I think it will remain in the news until we start um, doing it better, for, for want of a better way of putting it. And, and staying on kind of newsworthy uh, topics, uh, sustainability and environmental concerns have been very prominent in recent years. Uh, what legal measures or regulations have emerged to address these issues on the high street and how have them, how have they impacted retailers? 
I think, well, from a legal point of view, I mean, this this actually goes back to Graham's point as well about, you know, people wanting to shop local. And I think one of the big drivers for that is actually the an environmental one and the, you know, pr- pr- hopefully, uh, you know, s- local supply chains and not hundreds of miles of produce going around the country. Um, but we are certainly... In terms of leases, where green leases are very much on the agenda, um, you know, for some of the larger landlords, you know, years back, if you were a new tenant going in, you would be expected to strip out a unit, completely do it, do a completely new shop fit, new everything. You know, leases would say you can't use; it has to be new products. You can't use, you know, re- recycle and, and reuse shop fit. It's that has turned on its head. Um, I think there's a lot of talk about it and perhaps not quite so much doing yet. But if you look at, you know, green leases are a subject of a lot of conversations. And if you look at any lease from a institutional landlord now, they, you know, you've got five, 10 pages of uh, environmental type clauses about measuring uh, utility consumption, you know, working together to reduce um, energy consumption, just that the whole lot is, is being dealt with. But I think it's a it's an ongoing conversation and it will link in um, also to the EPC regime, of course, because at the moment we ha- you have to have a minimum E rating to let your commercial property, but the intention is that will increase to C and then B, you know, by the end, by 2030. So, um, there is a- an ongoing debate, I suppose, about who should pay for works, what works need to be done, when they will be done to, to minimise disruption. So that, you know, it's very much at the top of the agenda, I would say. And Graeme, to come back to you, uh, the report in 2021 uh, touched upon the challenges faced by local independent retailers. And we discussed them, of course, just a few minutes ago. Has there been any interventions or initiatives aimed at supporting and protecting these businesses since uh, the report? That's a good question. Um, I suppose a lot of the support for independence tends to be at a local level. So, for example, the, the work that I do uh, in County Durham uh, is funded via the County Council uh, in Chesley Street and the Parish Council in Durham. And you tend to get lots of, of locally targeted business support schemes that uh, are providing training or one-to-one support or, or whatever it might be. And, and certainly as a principal, um, my experience is that if you if you can provide some kind of local support scheme, uh, it generally is is very useful because I think um, it's been touched on there by Vicky that sometimes uh, independents don't always have all the information that they need. A lot of them are are really savvy, but not all of them. Um, and so if you can provide some kind of, um, of support locally, uh, have someone available who can provide uh, advice and mentoring, that, that I think is, uh, uh, is really good because ultimately, if you invest that resource in working with retailers and promoting places, uh, it does genuinely have an impact in in making those retailers more likely to succeed and not make uh, big mistakes. But also, uh, um, if you if you engage in the place promotion, uh, it certainly helps attract uh, new businesses, and that's the kind of thing that uh, I've been doing lots of in Durham, and we know that. By putting out positive messages about the place and about the strength of the independent community there, that does attract new businesses as well. And our listeners won't be surprised to hear that uh, technology continues to shape the retail sector. 
Could you shed any light on any challenges or considerations that have arisen due to advancements in areas such as AI, automation, or augmented reality? I'll be honest, I've, I've spent the last... 10 or 15 years going to retail conferences and things where people have been talking about uh, all this kind of stuff. And, and it's, I can't think of one example where I've been out, out in the streets in Durham and, uh, and a retailer said to me, Oh, Graham, tell me about AI. It, 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 I think um, that there's always a bit of a disconnect between what tech is being talked about in the, uh, in the retail press and at conferences and what, actually on the on the ground businesses are uh, are doing so i'm i suppose i'm a bit of a skeptic to be honest because i've seen so many examples of the of the next big thing and and actually the fundamentals of of retailing are are about being in the right premises in the right place selling the right stuff to the right people and and doing it in a way that grabs customers and and delights them, and and I suppose whatever tech you have, it it can't be a substitute for the fundamentals of of being a great retailer. Vicky, I'll bring you on this question as well, but just given the context of uh, we were talking to you about data privacy a second ago, the first thing that of course jumps to my mind is a great kind of recommendation algorithm. Um, so information on a customer saying, ah, well, you bought this from us a few weeks ago. Um, we, we think you might be interested in this. But coming back to, again, data, uh, data collection, uh, do you think that there's almost a pullback sometimes from customers when they're when the algorithm is um, kind of a little bit too good? I think, I think sometimes people are surprised, don't they? You know, if you uh, are on Google and, and it remembers what you looked at and then it starts trying to sell you the, the thing when you're looking on Facebook or, or whatever it might be. And it's um, I think some consumers are perhaps a bit naive about how much of their information is out there and available and how much is tracked. Um, but there's certainly a... I guess a, a group of people who are trying to, to fight against that. Um, but as it stands, I, I think the big corporations certainly at the moment know a lot more about us than, um, <laughs> than we probably know and um, would be happy with if we did realise. And my final question, looking ahead, what hurdles do you anticipate retailers will face on the high street in the next few years? And what steps can they take to proactively address these challenges? Uh, Graham, let's let's come to you first. Right, Craigie. Um, well, well, I suppose uh, I suppose retailers have already been facing quite a lot of challenges. As as, as if you think about it, uh, all these bricks and mortar businesses have, have have successfully navigated COVID for the most part, and now they're having to deal with uh, all the things around the cost of living and energy bills. And I always think it's um, it's to their credit that so many businesses have managed to get through all that and and in some cases um, are are still performing really well so there's a sense almost that if you can get through covid you can deal with anything um, but i suppose in a sense we can't quite know what is on the horizon um, if if uh, if covid in the last few years has taught us one thing it's that we can't always predict what the future holds but i think uh, businesses on the high street have proved uh, how resilient and how agile they are uh, in many cases but it looks like it's still going to be 
a tough year or two ahead. I, um, I don't think there's a sense that the economy is is suddenly going to spring back into life and people are going to have loads of money to spend again. So it comes it comes back to those fundamentals again of, of just being really good at what you do and making sure that everybody who might be a customer of yours knows what you're offering and, uh, and is able to uh, come and support you. Yeah, I think that's right. Those retailers who have been most successful over the last few years, I think, have really shown how flexible and, and adaptable they, they can be. Um, and that's not going to change in the short term, is it, with the you know the cost of living crisis and, and the economy? You, you sort of see, I see local businesses on, on my local high street shifting. So, you know, once upon a time, they were just a cafe and now they're a workspace and people who work from home, you know, can spend the morning using their Wi-Fi. I think it's about becoming more of a destination than just doing one thing, um, but but very much being adaptable to the circumstances. And, you know, the younger generation, because they have quite different ideas, I would say, about spending and, and what they want to use their money on and the kind of ethical side of things. And I think those retailers that, you know, we'll be talking about 10 years from now will be ones who've embraced that and, you know, been willing to, to change when it hasn't always been easy, easy to do so. Graham and Vicky, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Legal Thinking and thank you to our guests um, for joining us on today's podcast. Uh, If you want to find out more about the topic that was discussed today, make sure to have a look in the show notes where we'll have linked everything up. And you can find all of the back episodes of Legal Thinking in your podcast provider of choice. And you can also subscribe and follow us on there too. And as always, make sure you leave us a five-star review on a podcast provider of choice as that helps other people find us. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.